Hey guys, welcome to the Happy Haven. Tonight we have Matt Hawkins, president and COO of Top Cow Comics. Holy crap. Woohoo. Right, right. They are known for such gems as Postal, Witchblade, The Darkness, and other such books. Uh, I actually recently picked up Broken Trinity, Pandora's Box, the entire story uh, in a trade paperback written by Brian Edward Hill. Who you'll remember yeah, from an earlier episode. Just a few episodes back there. Exactly. Um, amazing artwork, awesome story, really got into it. And um, they got a Kickstarter going for Golgotha, and I'll let him explain it better, being the project head of it. And so we're going to get into that. But before yeah. we do, guess who randomly followed me today on Twitter? Oh, I love this game. You're so much better at the Twitters than I am. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I posted more. I'm going to take a guess. Hold on. Don't tell me. Um, oh, you're never going to get it. Mark Hamill. No. Oh, trust me. There'd be a lot more. Hey, guess what? Yeah, I feel like you would lose it, and you might have a coronary. I'd still be pooping. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Tell me who. Okay, did you ever watch a show called Frasier? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember Frasier's very funny, plucky producer? Yeah, the 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 girl, right? Roz. Yeah, Roz. Yeah, she followed me today. <laughs> That's such on a random Twitter. a random follow. I'm going to make that happen. That would be awesome, because, yeah, I love Frasier, and my dad even used to make fun of it, me for it. He's like, why do you like that show? I don't know, I just do. I found it quirky and funny, and Kelsey Grammer is hysterical to me. And his brother, what was it, Nigel? Wasn't that his brother's name? Nigel uh, Crane. Yeah, yeah, Nigel. And his dad, <laughs> that dog, that was awesome. I love that Eddie. show. Eddie! Yes. Yes, so she followed me, and I swear if we get her on, I promise to everybody listening, I will sing Toss Salad and Scrambled Eggs if she comes on. <laughs> now we got to make it happen just because I want to hear that. I know, it was just such a cool random follow. Like, Was there a Kevin reason? Sm like, did something lead up to it? Kevin Smith and Matt Myra tweeted out a thing that they had done another podcast for Frasier, because they actually have one. And... um Somebody put, like, a crappy comment to Kevin Smith about, don't ever relaunch Frasier, don't joke about it, everything you touch turns to blank, and da-da-da-da-da. Oh, and, and I put, to Matt Meyer and Kevin Smith, and I didn't realize she was on the reply list, I put, well, Kevin, you can come on the Happy Haven podcast, and you can put your fingers on any part of the show, and I don't <laughs> care what it turns into. We'll let you produce your own episode. Right. So a couple minutes later, I get a like, and it's, from her, and it's her blue tick verified account. That's awesome. Then, a minute later, I got the followed notification, and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Part of Fraser history has followed me. Apparently, I'm just going to have to sit down one day and have you teach me how to use Twitter properly, because nobody follows me. Basically, it's just compliments and shamelessness, my friend. <laughs> you just throw all shame out the window. 
Yeah, that girl with low self-esteem at the prom. That's me on Twitter. Hey, if it works, it works, I guess. But, <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of cool. So that'd be cool if we could make that happen, get to talk about sitcom atmosphere of the 90s. And Yeah, I miss the sitcoms from back in the day. We don't really have a ton of them anymore, at least that feel up to that same caliber. I mean, I grew up watching Frasier and Seinfeld and stuff like that. I'd say Last Man Standing is one of the only ones on now that have that Last air Man to them. Last Man Standing is really good. I love, I love that. that. It, it makes me miss um, Home Improvement, but it is a very good show. I like it a lot. Even though Dude, they changed the daughter from the first to second season. They like did. Nothing ever happened. They did. They totally did. Something Like if I accidentally skipped from the first season to the fourth or whatever the new one was on... Netflix, and I had to go back and check it. I was like, nope, they just changed actresses. Okay. Nope. All right, well, I'm going to patch Matt in, because it's All about right. that time. Sounds sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Do, 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 silence. Do, 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 edit this part out. Do, 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 silence. I might not edit it out, because I'm being stupid. Nothing better than some good elevator music going. All right. In dulcet tones. I'm going to sing the Doom song. Doom, 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 doom. 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 I love that. <laughs> I can't wait for the movie. I know, right? It's going to be so good. I was, I These was really got excited. peanuts and soap in them. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a new series, like they were going to continue it, and then I was a little less excited when I heard it was a movie, but still really excited. I still get more of Zim, and that's all that matters. Well, the hope is that the reception to the movie is so big that they're like, go ahead, do it again, guys. Yeah, no. It's not stupid. It's advanced. I loved it, you piggy. (laughs) Can I be a dog? No. Can I be a mongoose dog? (laughs) Oh, we'll bow before Zim Yes What was the name of the neighbor kid That was always trying to bust him out Oh, um Oh, come on Lars, no Hold on I will get it Did you ever see the one Where Zim goes back in time And keeps messing with him and he just gets, like, more and more crippled and broken throughout. That is a dark episode for a Nickelodeon cartoon. Yeah. His name was Dib. Dib. Yeah. But, oh, my God, that that episode always stood out. The one where he just keeps, like, mm-hmm. making Dib have accidents. I used to have, <laughs> I used to have all three seasons on DVD. I, I actually bought a bootleg at a Goodwill that has the entire series on one DVD like it was burned from a computer. They sold that at a Goodwill? <laughs> yeah, for like $1.50. The nice. entire run of Zim for like less than two bucks. Oh, man. There's so many lines from Zim that uh, I still quote to this day. Hello, Floor. Make me a sandwich. Hello, Floor. <laughs> In a room with a moose. Uh, that's a good show. Now you're just making me want to go watch it. 
I might actually do that tonight. I say I'm probably going to. I'm probably going to take my computer upstairs and watch it while I fall asleep. You just totally foghorn leghorned. Well, I, I say that. You did that. I say. It's <laughs> another thing I miss. Whatever happened to the Looney Tunes? Just kind of, and I mean like the old school ones, mm-hmm. where they just played the small, you know, ten minute snippets and then went on with the next one. Well, now they just have what do they call it? Wabbit. I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, it's so bad. Sounds bad. Oh, let's see here. Anything else interesting I read today? Evans. Evans had a very fun day. <laughs> you talk about the poopy? No, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> He's. It's say it's a group call on this. Mm-hmm. But he's saying he's not seeing the notification, so I might have to hang up, call him, and then call you. Okie dokie. All right. All right. One one second. Mm -hmm. We're still keeping all that, though. It was gold. Yeah, sounds good to me. (laughs) Gold, I tell you. Nothing better than elevator talk while you're waiting. Exactly. All right, give me one second. Yep. Works a little quitter. Hey, how's it going? Hey, not too bad. There we are. We are once again a triumvirate. Now it works. <laughs> Yay. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, you sound yeah, good. Yeah, man. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Are we rolling? Yes, sir. All right. Yep, it's going. Cool. All right, well, let's jump right into it. We did our intro right before so that we could make the most of our time with you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Yeah, like, like we were talking about um, the books on your label, um, Steps and I are both big comic book guys from way, way back, and we grew up reading some of them. I saw, you know, of course, Witchblade and Darkness and Postal, and um, I actually just picked up one of the trade paperbacks I found uh, for Broken Trinity, the Pandora's Box one, the one that Brian Edward Hill wrote, wrote oh, on cool. you guys. Yeah, yeah, that was his very first comic work, actually. Wow. <laughs> nice, I didn't know that. But yeah, so we had him on and um, a, uh, what last weekend and had a really great conversation. And um, we were talking about the Golgotha Kickstarter, and I was like, I'm just going to reach out to the source and let them <laughs> talk. Because if I'm going to endorse it, I already backed it. Oh, um, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Oh, man, no sweat. So I'll, we were just going to let you have free reign to just talk about this cool project he talked about it a bit i'd love to get your synopsis and what's going on with it well we just uh we actually hit the funding mark uh yesterday so it's uh, officially uh funded so everyone's going to get their rewards and stuff like that the nice thing about golgotha specifically is this was the first time where the book was actually almost completely finished when we when we launched the uh, the crowdfunding campaign when we did the original one for the first one it was cyberforce uh, we hadn't even started working on it yet because uh, the idea was to raise money so that we could give the books away. And then we did a second one for a music tie-in project a couple of years ago called September Morning. Uh, but again, the book wasn't uh, even started. The idea was using the, the Kickstarter funds to actually fund the creation of the comic. Um, and then I couldn't really uh, wrap my head around that concept for a publisher that self-finances their own books. So uh, this time we went ahead and just finished the book for the most part in advance. 
and then listed it uh, more as kind of an alternate distribution methodology. So that was sort of the idea of it and tested it, and it's worked for us, so uh, we may try it again. Um, but, uh, you know, Golgotha is a science fiction story about a guy named Michael Lawton. It's, it's set, you know, in the near future. Um, he's a soldier. The world has kind of uh, continued to decline, as it seems to be now. Um, and uh, so he, he gets caught up in, a, in, a, in a kind of a bad military situation. Uh, he ends up being the fall guy for this. So the military asks him, you know, look, you're, you're either going to go to jail, your life is going to be ruined, you're going to, be, you're going to go down in history as a mass murderer, or we can put you on this Golgotha ship and uh, cover it all up and you can lead this mission to this new world. You know, he accepts, of course, he doesn't really have much of a choice. And uh, so he, he basically has to make the decision to leave his wife, uh, his unborn child, you know, everyone behind. His wife wants him to leave, so that was part of the impetus to push him away. And uh, so he joins this group. They sort of make this uh, life-altering decision to leave because, you know, if you're on an 88-year cryo-voyage, everyone you knew on Earth is going to be dead by the time you get there. Um, so you truly are starting over. So they imagine making that sort of mental leap to, to choose to do that. And then uh, when you get there, you discover that a few years after you left, scientists figured a faster way to get there, a faster way to travel. And there's been a colony there for 30 years, and they don't want you. You know, you thought you were going to start this new thing. You're Michael Lott, and you were going to lead this new colony. You're going to be sort of this badass guy in this new colony. You're going to be the alpha dog. You get here, and you're nothing, and they don't even want you. Um, and not only that, to make it worse, his unborn son had a family and had a son, and that son uh, is leading this colony. So his, uh, his grandson, who actually looks like his grandfather because of the relativistic nature of the times, um, is uh, is the leader of the colony. So there's definitely a family connection. And, nice. Uh, that's that's kind of what is the basic story. I mean, there are no aliens, um, but there's alien technology. And uh, Brian always likens it to Apocalypse Now, which I think is a fair comparison. But uh, the reason we did this as an original graphic novel was because uh, I wanted to do more of a psychological science fiction thriller, which... You don't see a lot of anymore, you know. I mean, uh, a lot of science fiction, just like Transformers or these big sort of in-your-face action-packed adventures. You don't see like if you look at the original Alien, that was a slow burn film. You know what I mean? It was more of a psychological thriller. It was a horror, and the second Aliens was an action film. And we see a million action films like that now. We see very few sort of psychological thrillers like Alien or Jacob Flatter or some of those. Yeah, he was so. likening it to like. The good Ridley Scott sci-fi. Yes, and I'm yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That's we need more Blade Runnery and Alien stuff coming out. So that's that. That was kind of the the idea of it, and it's it sort of uh, you know you know I've seen since Passengers, the uh, Chris Pratt Jennifer Lawrence film, which has sort of some similar overall conceits. Um, and there was something else someone mentioned to me, the new Mass Effect, which also has some similar sort of ideas in it. But I think I, I've looked at those, and our execution is very different. Um, I, interestingly, all, all these projects that are coming up with this idea of this, uh, this transport all come out after, um, yeah, what was uh, uh, the one, Orson Scott Card's uh, book, Ender's Game. My wife just yelled it out. Ooh, Ender's Game, yeah. Yeah, so Ender's Game, the film came out, and uh, there was that part of Ender's Game where the guy played by Ben Kingsley in the movie, um, he should have been dead, but in order to be able to train the next generation to fight, he used the relativistic nature of time to travel so that he could come back and train the next generation. 
And uh, that always kind of stuck with me, and I think it clearly stuck with the people that made Mass Effect, and it stuck with the guys who wrote Passengers. And uh, that's sort of typ- typical amongst sort of uh, zeitgeist stuff. There's a lot of the same sort of stuff that happens all the time. But, uh, you know, after I saw Ender's Game, I actually went out and started researching quantum entanglement and uh, dark matter and some of these things. I actually have a, uh, a physics degree, so I, I use that occasionally for something. Wow, and, uh, very nice. It was able to go and look this up and see kind of what how it works and, and got kind of obsessed with it for a few weeks. And uh, that's what ultimately led to Golgotha. I wrote the initial outline about three, four years ago. Yeah, that's... It, wow. It seems like such a, a deep, intricate story that I'm really excited to see and get to read the entire thing because it just there's so much to it. Like you said, it's like uh, it's very involved in that psychological aspect to it. Really interests me a guy making a choice and then finding that every reason he made that choice really doesn't matter when once he gets there. Um, right. And there's actually a secondary character that goes with him that I actually like even more. And it's a, it's this woman, and at the moment her name is eluding me, but she was a leading scientist. And see, think about that. You know, think of scientists from 40, 50, 60 years ago. If we thought saw a scientist from, you know, the 1920s, we would think of them as a quaint scientist. You know what I mean? They, they would not be considered modern or have technological savvy. So imagine you're the leading cutting-edge scientist of your field. You get sent on this mission, and you get there, and you're a relic. I mean, at least Michael, at least Michael Lawton was a, uh, a warrior. You know, there's, there's right. Some, there's some eternity to being a warrior, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, they've had similar stories since, yeah. you know, the 300 Sorry. stood against Xerxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, being a fighter or being a warrior, I mean, we've seen that uh, from Conan to Elric. Right. You know, it's been in the Bible. It's, it's in every... Those guys are always needed, but, uh, you know, you bring an old scientist forward, uh, it might take them a little while to catch up. Yeah, it'd be like landing, uh, handing uh, Louis Pasteur an iPhone. Yeah. There is, there is that great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, you know, where uh, they're doing the Conan sort of thing and Moriarty. Um, I think uh, Picard is in the, the ready room, or not the ready room, the hologram room, and yeah. Moriarty becomes this sentient being, and he comes into the Enterprise and discovers it and starts learning the new technologies. And I... I uh, you know, some of these things, you, you have these things in the back of your mind, and then you uh, you start writing, and you realize, oh, yeah, I was a little influenced by this and this and this. And <laughs> I, I uh, it, It's one of the things, when you get a little older, you know, I'm in my late 40s now, so when I see stories written, I can almost always tell where they're coming from. You know, it's, hey, it's this thing plus this thing plus this thing, and then the guy went in this direction with it. So it's kind of fun to try to deconstruct stuff. Yeah, I've, I've, I've written stories for quite a while my dad grew up loving comics he taught me to love comics and he was always finishing people's stories for them when he got irritated that he thought it didn't end the way he wanted to he'd sit down and I can't tell you how many countless nights those were my bedtime stories so I just, I just grew up with that that mindset of writing stories and I sit down sometimes and I look at my own stories and I'm like yeah I can see all these different influences coming into one and some of them sometimes feel a little too, a little too close. So you know, reworking things, but it is always well, interesting to see those. 
Yeah, I sat down and wrote uh, over the course of a week a story idea that really captivated me. And I, I'm trying to remember what it was, but I remember the situation ex extremely well. And I was excited. I was telling everyone that I was cranking up the story. And then I sort of wrote down this outline, uh, and I emailed it off to, this is uh, 10 years ago. I don't remember who the editor was at the time. And they called me right away and said, you know, this is just like that movie that just came out last year. And I was like, oh, fuck, you're right. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, and it was almost, a, it was very similar, the plot, sort of the structure, the character, character designs, and, uh, and I realized that, and it was, uh, it was kind of a slap in the face, because I just tossed it and started on something else, but uh, that, that happens, that's, that's actually pretty common, I mean, every writer's yeah. gone through that. Yeah, been there, done that, I actually um, met up with an a amateur artist on Twitter, and I'm, I'm going to try to put something together for the first time. Um, I, I can't draw, uh, I'm 36 and, you know, we had Eric Larson on the other day and off air we were talking and he was like, well, you know, if you practice and I was like, dude, I've been practicing since I was five, <laughs> My, like it's not in the cards for me, but writing has always been there. And today I tried to write an outline that I would think a comic book artist would need, and it was such a different take on laying something out, because with me, it's just, I write really fast, and it's always like, da-da-da, da-da-da, it plays like a movie, so I'm just writing the movie in my head, and this one, I'm like, well, it's going to have to be paneled. You can't have quick cuts like that, because you're not writing it where it's all in the reader's mind. They're going to have art to stimulate, and there's going to be other senses working, and not, and... Who like, <laughs> like, like yeah. this is very, very different, but it's a story that I wrote out in long form, and I've always wanted to see it in a different medium. And, you know, I'm 36 years old. If I'm going to take a plunge, I need to take it, you know, so that's no, where I'm at with that. I hear you. You know, I wrote comics from 96 to 99, and then I did not write a single comic until 2010. You know, I what other uh, what other comic houses did you work for? Oh, I started uh, at Extreme Studios in uh, April '93. Wow! Uh, so yeah, I was uh, one of the one of the very first Image people. Um, I've been at uh, one Image company or another since almost the beginning. I mean, I think uh, Top Calf was founded in November of '92. I started mm -hmm. at Extreme in April of '93. So six months six months into Top Cow's creation, I was at, at their rival. Um, I worked with Liefeld up until 96, and then uh, Extreme sort of, and sort of folded, and then I was with him at a company called Awesome Entertainment that was uh, him, Jeff Loeb, Eric Stevenson, and myself. Jeez Louise, dude. And uh, do you remember Awesome? It was uh, Jeff Loeb, uh, we had Ed McGinnis, uh, Alan Moore, Steve Scrooge. Uh we had a bunch of talent. It was really good stuff. And, uh, and then uh, Awesome folded. Um, even though it was getting great buzz. And, yeah. Uh, I, I, I wrote Lady Pendragon, which was the first comic I ever wrote. I had some of those. Yeah, I wrote that. That was my first book. So Wow. That's awesome, dude. I actually had some of those. I was, yeah, when we were, when we were talking to um, Larson the other day, I was, you know, somebody always tells you they're your biggest fan, but I went back and looked in pull boxes, and, dude, I have... 
so many like number one extreme lines, so many number one valiants and image and IDW. Like everybody knows the Marvel in DC and yeah, I've got my characters from that that I love, but I have always been drawn to those labels, yours, um, even the one that you're at now and I like them because they're more free to tell a story. They're more linear. There's not 18,000 variations. The creators seem to be more free to be creative. They're not beholden to a character that's been around for 50 years. And it's always just been more interesting to me, the, the, the label that, that you have and stuff like extreme and valiant and image. So, yeah, yeah, man, I've, I've read your work since you started, man. That's crazy. <laughs> Thanks. No, I did uh, did Alley Cat, uh, another book called Alley Cat. Um, yeah. That was mine. And then uh, I, I did Battlestar Galactica at Maximum Press. Uh, I, was the edit- I edited that entire line of books, Battlestar Galactica, Evangeline, War Child. Um, and then uh, in... Like May or April or May of '98, um, I got a job offer from Top Cow, and I took it, and uh, I've been there ever since. So what is that? Almost 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've seen uh, I've seen a lot. And Top Cow is very different than what it was when I started. It was still, you know, Joe Benitez, Dave Finch, Mike Turner, Billy Tan, and and all those guys doing all the books. And then uh, shortly thereafter, everyone kind of split off, and we had to sort of rebuild, but we did, we've done some great stuff, and we did Tomb Raider, I, I sort of shepherded that, Rising Stars, Midnight Nation, Wanted, um, it's been, uh, it's been a fun, I love uh, a fun ride, it was good, I like the movie that, too, good adaptation. It was, but that run on that book, man, was amazing, and then of course, The Darkness, I mean, with the video games came out, and you know, those of us who already knew about it were just like, you mean we get to play with Darklings? And it was like, <laughs> yeah, so that game was awesome. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you all right? So here's the thing, right? So y'all's art in y'all's book, The Darkness, leads to a game, right? Leads to one of the coolest video game moments that I've ever had with my wife, who doesn't play but watches them like movies, which makes her the coolest okay. video game wife. I never have to share a controller, but I get every new game and I get to play them as much <laughs> as I want. Can I guess right. what that moment is before you tell me? Sure, go ahead. Uh, it's the moment when Jackie and uh, Sarah are, uh, are sitting on the and Jenny, Jackie and Jenny are sitting on the couch. Get out of my brain, you wizard! That's everybody. That's. Uh, so many people have told me that that's their favorite moment in that uh, in that comic and, or in the game. And you know the interesting thing is uh, when I when I worked I, I produced that game and when I produced that game Paul Jenkins wrote it um, and we sort of insisted at Top Cow that Jenkins be the writer because he was writing whole, uh, the work that run with Del Kion, uh, Darkness Resurrection that we were doing. Yeah, and, uh, and it was such a good version that I really liked Paul's take on on Jackie. So um, we you know, insisted when Majesco started making that game that, that uh, he be the writer of the game, and they agreed to it. Um, it's really interesting how that all worked out, because uh, Majesco ended up going out of business, and they sold that game to 2K Games. 2K, 2K right. And they didn't even want it. They didn't want the darkness. They were buying another game. I'm trying to remember what it was. They bought uh, another game, Psychonauts, I think it was, um, from... From Majesco was doing Psychonauts, some Jaws game, and they were doing The Darkness. And 2K wanted the Psychonauts game. So they came in and bought it, but Majesco insisted they buy all three. And uh, hmm. they ended up losing their shirt on Jaws and Psychonauts and made tons of money on The Darkness, and they ended up making a sequel. And so it's, it's a whole, it's a crazy story how sometimes stuff like that works. 
Yeah, um, Psychonauts was a Schaefer game, right? I don't remember, and I could be I wrong on so. the title. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, it was called Psychonauts, but I think that's one of those Tim Schaefer games that like became a cult classic, and he got all like up his own ass about it. it was like people just didn't get it, and it was like, no, it just wasn't accessible, dude. <laughs> like, he kind of gets that he puts out like, and I don't mean to hate on the dude, but he puts out like a really weird concept game, and then yeah. gets mad when a general audience doesn't get it. And I've I've never seen a Jaws game other than the Nintendo one, so they must have killed that project. But yeah, the no, darkness. No, it, it came out. The darkness. Uh, the, Jaws, the Jaws game did come out, and it had because I remember the one fun part of it was it had uh, an engine that was attached to the game, specifically called the dismemberment engine, and it was you played the Jaws, <laughs> and it, it was basically you you chomping people up, which was kind of fun. Um, but that. The problem with it was the game was that was the only interesting part, and how long can that be fun for? Uh, and it was kind of tedious because you were swimming around a shark, and and uh, and it wasn't. It, it was one of those games that I've played a lot of games like this where it's a lot of fun for about an hour, and then it's mm-hmm. like, eh, eh. like there was a game I just played, The Last Guardian, which was a hell of a fun game for about an hour or maybe two hours, and then I got uh, ridiculously annoyed by how tedious the game was. Yeah. That's what I've heard. A lot of people. A lot of people were like, "Oh, well, you know, studio. The studio that put it out, they did Eco and Shadow of the Colossus." And I'm like, "Yeah, two games that were artsy fartsy, and I never finished because I was just like, okay, I'm done." So I hadn't even bothered with the Last Guardian. But no. So the darkness thing was, you guys had fully licensed, like full episodes of things. Me, my wife and I sat on the couch, curled up under a blanket. I put the controller down, and we watched To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, right on. <laughs> in a video yeah, yeah, yeah. game. Yeah, and we were yeah. both just, like, so mind-blown by that. <laughs> like, yeah. That is cool. There were, like, like ten... Is it a clip? And then we were yeah. like, holy shit, it's the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's, uh, it's funny, because there's multiple movies in there. I'm trying to remember what they were, but uh, my favorite part of the Darkest video game, and it was the second one, was uh, when you went down the subway, like, if you pushed... Like, if you use the darkness power on this one brick, the whole wall opened up and it said, fuck you, Matt Hawkins. And I, I, I there was like a graffiti, graffiti on the wall. And uh, I just always thought that was really cool. So. That's awesome. Now that's an Easter egg. egg. <laughs> <laughs> I got told off by the developer in the game. It was pretty fun. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think Good times. to my uh, parents' dismay, the darkness and Witchblade and Spawn, a lot of those kind of comics were some of my favorites as a kid and I grew up in a very strict Christian household so I guess you can kind of figure out why they weren't exactly thrilled that they were the ones I wanted to read (laughs) I always had a hard time getting a hold of them but I've I've got as long as my dad didn't get rid of it which he says he didn't uh, he still got some of my comics down in his basement I still have the the Witchblade uh, number one and I I had to beg for it. I was young, and pretty much my dad swore if my mom ever found it, he would lie and say that it. He had no idea. That I had. Yeah, I, I I don't even have a copy of Witchblade Number One. So I mean, I'm sure we have a couple in the office, but I don't have one personally. So that's uh that's a keepsake. Wow. Now I always thought I always associated Witchblade with Spawn. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. It's always in my head that those two were like... As far as I know, they're not. 
No, they're not. not. That, yeah. That, well, we did the Medieval Spawn Witchblade crossover. Yeah. I think that might have been what it was. That uh, had to be it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was uh, that was fun. Um, but uh, other than that, I don't think there's been any other crossover between Witchblade and Spawn. It was just that one special that Brandon Peterson drew. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a long time ago, man. It's it's weird because uh, there's like multiple phases of Top Cow in my career, and they're mm-hmm. also very different because the business now is so different than it was back then. Yeah. You know, oh, no one printed trade paperbacks back then. You know, I mean, it was very rare, very rare. We would only, only on very rare occasions would we print something into a trade paperback. Um, and uh, so now hmm. that's the bulk of our business. Yeah, that seems yeah. commonplace. Like you see people that are like, "Oh, I love this book. I'm just waiting for the trade so I can get it all. At, I can get a whole chunk of story at once." Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was different. Different market, people would read differently. Um, you know, so people used to binge watching TV and mm-hmm. so. Yeah, do you think that a Kickstarter is going to become more of a normal thing for, not like just Top Cow, but I mean other smaller companies, do you think they'll start using it more to fund some of the projects they want to do but are afraid to kind of do without a backing first? I, I think so. I mean, I already saw after we launched ours that Dynamite had put one up, and Dynamite's a uh, you know it's a reasonably sized uh, mid 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 tier publisher that does a lot of direct market books like James Bond and stuff like that. So yeah, um, so they're they're legitimate um, and they're doing one. Uh, you know, guys like Brian Polito swear by it. He's been doing all his Lady Death stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. He barely even lists his stuff through the direct market anymore. And Jimmy Palmiotti does both, you know. He does his books and lists them and then also does stuff. Um, So, yeah, I I think you're going to see, I think what it is is the problem in today's market is there's just too much product. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, in the the 90s we thought there was too much product. And there were maybe 350 titles coming out a month and maybe, maybe 20 trade paperbacks, you know. Now you've got closer to 2,000 titles coming out every month and two to 300 trade paperbacks a month, you know. So the title Mm -hmm. count has dramatically gone up. The number of companies has gone up dramatically. And you have retailers that no longer are asking, okay, how many of this Marvel or DC book am I going to buy? They're asking, am I going to order this Marvel or DC book? And they do the same thing with Image and Dark Horse and all the other companies. It's like, am I going to carry this or not? It's not how many copies am I going to get. It's am I going to carry it or not? Oh, trust me, in the 90s, I got tooken. And yes, that's a southern term. I'm a Boston-raised boy, but I live in Atlanta. I got <laughs> tooken quite a bit. Do you know how many foil covers bagged with a card included, postered, <laughs> they're only making this many of these, big giant words talking about how special that issue is, and then you look it up and it's like, it actually cost more to print it 40 years ago than... Or, you know, in 95, it cost more to print it than someone's going to give you for it. Because the market got flooded. It was kind of like the Atari glut in video games in the 70s was comics in the 90s. But, no, the thing Dynamite's doing is um, they're trying to bring back uh, Bill Mantlo and um, Butch Geis' Sword of the Swashbucklers. Yeah, I saw that. I'd never heard of it before, but it had some pre-existing... I think anytime you're dealing with something that has some nostalgia or some pre-awareness is an easier sell. You know, it's why licensing works so well. People do so much of it. You know, when you launch something completely original like Golgotha, you have to sell it based on the creative team's, uh, you know, pedigree 
And uh, so, you know, fortunately, Brian and I have audiences, and uh, Yuki, who's kind of uh, an up-and-coming artist and kind of building her audience, and, and people can see that she's a very talented artist, and Brian Valenza on the colors did a really spectacular job, that the, that the book itself is a professional-quality book, and it's written by two guys who've done a lot of other stuff, and if you've ever tried any of that other stuff and liked it, then maybe you'll like this, you know? Yeah, right, it's, yeah. It's one of the things that kind of drew me to this when uh, Jay brought it up and we started talking about having you guys on and talk about it, is that it is an original story. Uh, I feel this way. I'm really interested to see what you think, but I think part of the problem I have right now with Marvel and DC is that it's nothing new. I went to the comic book store just the other day, and there are like eight Spider-Man titles. I just want to read Spider-Man, you know? I don't right. want to buy eight different books to get the whole story out of it, and we don't have that many new characters ever coming out. We don't have, even with our movies, most of them are remakes of older movies, for better or worse sometimes, but it feels like sometimes there's such a lack of new ideas and new properties coming out that it's just, they found it so easy to sell that old pop culture and that old nostalgia that we've halted trying to make anything new. Well, and a lot of the new stuff doesn't get, uh, you know, whether it's screen time, air, air time, or, what, or even rack time or whatever it is, it's like, if we would list Golgotha through the image section, I mean, that's in the front of the previous catalog. It's from Image Comics. We'd get a nice big push for it. I bet we'd sell hmm, 1,500, maybe 2,000 copies through the direct market. See, the way we're doing it here, and in the direct market, you get a, a significantly lower percentage of, of sales. So the, 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 the dirty little secret about selling books direct and selling through Kickstarter and stuff like that is you get 100% of the retailer. You know, you're your own retailer. So. Right. When you're selling through a comic store, you're, you're getting maybe a third of the cover price, you know? So, and when you're selling it direct, you're getting 100%. So what is that? You do easy math. You've got to sell two, maybe three copies to, sell, to, to, to make the same amount of money as you sell one copy. And when, you're, when it's an incremental nickel and dime business and you're trying to do something that's, that's a hard sell, you've got you to gotta go with what works. Yeah. So, yeah. What I see on the horizon, which could be positive, like... Uh, to get on to Steph's question about the Kickstarter is, you know, it, it takes the it takes the risk away, I guess, in some aspects, if you start out just strictly with the Kickstarter. And it also lets you know what the public interest of a proposed project is. So it kind of takes away the shot-in-the-dark risk, I guess, for, for creativity. Now, I know that there are people who put Kickstarters up because they're like, I want to buy a toy, and people know me on the Internet, so here, give me your money, and I'm going to go buy a toy, and I'll put out a video of me playing with my toy. But for the business aspect of it, um, when used properly, it does kind of take that shot-in-the-dark risk away and I think frees up for more creativity because if you launch the Kickstarter, you float it up, and it kills its stretch goals, it kills its initial goal, and you have a bunch of backers and people are pushing it and you're seeing it everywhere, then you know that what you've got is going to be pretty much a sure thing. And if you float it up and it's real tepid, you know, you can think, well, maybe I can retool it and try to bring it to market later. So it's kind of a different aspect, I guess, to... Well, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Kickstarter stats on Kickstarter's website and it shows that 35.8% of all their projects are successful. So that's roughly one in three 
And right. uh, that's that's across the board. That's not just graphic novels. That's everything on Kickstarter. So I don't know if the graphic novels are less than more, but I see a lot of graphic novels or comics that don't fund on on Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. it's not. It, it certainly is a way to mitigate your risk if you're deciding what whether or not you're going to do it. You know what I mean? But in our case, uh, I'd already popped. I'd already paid for this book. You know, we we've been writing and developing and drawing this thing for two years now. So um, I've already sunk the money into it. This book's going to come out regardless. But, uh, you know, and it's one of the reasons why you look at it and you sort of realistically set, set your number. Um, I didn't want to do a Kickstarter and raise $50, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to you know, also set it up at 50000 and then not hit the goal. So you, you sort of evaluate and you lowball it a little bit to make sure you kind of at least are funded. Um, and, you know, we, we funded on day 12. We've got 28 more days to go or whatever it was. So I'm pretty, uh, not 28, uh, 17, 18, whatever it is, 18 more days. Yes, we're, we're, about halfway. Right. Yeah. we're about halfway. So mm-hmm. we've got a couple weeks. And I'm glad it funded because I leave Monday for South Africa. I'm doing a convention in Cape Town, a uh, comic book convention, actually, next weekend. And I'll be there nice. for the week. So I won't have uh, a lot of time to get online and promote it as much. So I'm glad we've already fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> so are you guys well, going to continue to direct sell it once once the Kickstarter's over? Are you guys going to put it in the comic book shops and still go that way too? Well, here's what we're doing. We are uh, printing two versions of that trade. Uh, we're printing the Joe Jusco cover, which is the one that featured on the Kickstarter. That is going to be exclusively offered through that Kickstarter page, meaning um, – you know, we have that uh, section in there where you can buy 10 of them for $100. So does that mean people are going to buy those and then go resell them? Of course it is. That's, that's exactly why you would do that. Um, and we knew that and we set it up that way. We tried to set this to where it was reasonably priced. You know, I mean, I see a lot of these where they're, they're, you get a single graphic novel and it's like $40. And it's, uh, that just, I, I, you know, you wouldn't pay that normally unless it's like some super deluxe hardcover. Um, so what I was trying to do was less a cash grab and more trying to see if we could actually turn this into an actual business. So the idea that Joe Jesco variant is it's the exclusive Kickstarter cover. It's a beautiful piece, very reminiscent of old school sci-fi. Mm-hmm. If, you want, if you want the collectible Joe Jesco cover, we're going to do an initial print run, uh, probably 1,500, maybe 2,000 books, and it's never going to be reprinted with that cover on it. Um, and it'll say Kickstarter exclusive, and you can have it, and you can have a little piece of that project's history. Who knows? It might become some major motion picture or something. Um, and then the uh, Raphael Ayenko cover, the guy who I worked on for, with Symmetry, and I'm doing a new book called Stairway, uh, he did another cover that we're using that we're printing also probably around 1,500 to 2,000 copies that we'll be offering later this year uh, through the direct market and through the bookstores. So, yes, it will be available through other channels, but it's not going to be the same cover. It's not going to be as uh, collectible and rare because we do intend to keep that other version in print sort of perpetually. Most of the books that I've written, uh, actually, I, I, it's not most. All, all the books I've written are in print and available for sale. That's, that's how we make money. Um, awesome. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of what – and some of the other um, – you know, and if, if you remember on Cyberforce and the other Kickstarter we did, we offered a lot of crazy shit, like have lunch with Mark and I for $1,000, and we'll, we'll help talk to you about your comic idea. We did, we did a lot of really crazy stuff like that that, to me, we, we were just trying to make the number and raise as much money as possible to doing it. Yeah. We didn't really do any of that here. I mean, the idea was this is a another option. Like, you, this Kickstarter becomes kind of like a de facto Amazon. You know, and you can come in and get maybe slightly more exclusive product, 
um, and you can sort of take it from there. So that's kind of how I see it. And, and the reason why I wanted to do that was because I see people like my wife, who I see perusing Kickstarter, she'd never go into a comic book store unless I dragged her. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So doing a story this big, all the marketing work to get it out there, you meet your goal. I know you said you got a comic convention next week out of the country. Yeah. When you get back, what do you do to relax? How do you just unwind and relax before you move on to the next project? Um, well, there's no, there's no real, you know, I, I, I like red wine. I like hanging out with my wife. We go out a lot, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I drink a lot of red wine. I have to admit it, but the, the, uh, no, for me, it really is, uh, there's no ending it because it's, it's, it's always something. I mean, I'm working on like 12 different things right now. I finished mm-hmm. uh, a book called Samaritan this morning. Uh, Samaritan number one, which is in stores May 24th. It's a comic that I wrote that Atelier Rojo painted. Uh, it's a beautiful book. It ties into the think tank, the tithe, and postal universe that I've developed. And uh, so I finished that book today. Uh, tomorrow I actually have to work on think tank issue three for the new animals arc. The first two issues have already come out. And uh, I've got to finish that by Sunday because I'm on a plane on Monday, and I don't want to work on the I hate working on planes. I do it sometimes when I have to. But, uh, no, I, just, I Mark, I, you know, I was on the phone with Silvestri earlier, and we were talking about, a new project. We were, he had an idea for a new project that he pitched me. He said, you know, this, this, and I, I thought he was pitching me it for him to do. And, uh, no, he was pitching me for me to do because he thought I would do a good job with it. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, I spent half my afternoon thinking about that, which was fun. Um, but, uh, so it's always, there's always this rotating, uh, project list, you know, and different creators that you're talking to and artists and everyone pitches ideas. And, uh, it's just fun. I, you know, I got, I got to tell you guys, I have the greatest job in the world because uh, I get to make stories and tell comics and, and, and do this kind of stuff, and I really kind of have the uh, luxury of being able to do whatever I want. You know, uh, I don't think anyone at DC can say that, you know. Um, yeah, they don't exactly. Have, they have people to answer to, you know. And so Mark and I get to play and develop and, and create, and uh, the, the only people we really answer to are the people that read our books, you know, if... if if we're doing crappy jobs and everyone hated them, we wouldn't have been able to do it for 25 years. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Well, I just pulled up the, the cover for Symmetry. It looks awesome. Symmetry was a, a really fun book. I, uh, I got to tell you. I, oh, oh, the Golgotha one? No, um, the, the volume one, the, the trade for Symmetry, uh, the one that Rafael Anko did the cover for, it's really cool looking. Yeah, Symmetry is a is a beautiful science fiction uh, book that he did with me, and uh, it, honestly, I was trying to see if I could create a utopia. You know, there's so many, there's so much dystopian fiction that I wanted to see if I could tell something and create a plausible utopia, and that's where Symmetry came in. And it's, it's it's controversial, you know. It's it's about the segregation of the races in the future, um, and and a lot of really interesting sort of sci-fi tropes and ideas. And uh, so I, I, I stand by that book. I think, I think it reads very well. And uh, I'm working on a third volume that should be out sometime in 2018. That's awesome. I'll definitely go and pick that one up. It cool. looks great. It looks great, dude. It really does. The second volume, you know, it, it's the worst of all these sort of things, but uh, it happens to me every single time. Every book I write, I always feel like the second volume is better than the first. And I realize the reason why is it's hard to set up stuff, you know. And you talked about Spider-Man and Batman. It's, it's so much easier to write a story for Spider-Man or Batman because you don't have to tell 
everything and explain everything. People know who Alfred is. You know what I mean? I don't have right. to. I, you know, I don't have to set up. I, people know what Wayne Manor is. They know he wears a bat costume and he throws in the Batmobile. You know, when you create something from scratch, you don't have that shorthand luxury. You know. And, right. Uh, yeah, because everybody gets excited when they see the symbiotes. That'd be the easiest yeah. story to tell. They're like, "Ooh, Carnage and Venom! This will be great!" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's just and it's it's uh it's just much harder to do world building, you know. And that's that's uh that's the biggest problem I see in a lot of creator owned comics. And I, I've uh, certainly fallen plague to it before, where you do too much world building and not enough characterization. People get lost in the world building, setting up the rules of the world they're trying to do. And uh, you kind of don't have a sense of who the characters are. That happens, and uh, it's it's a no no. Yeah, I, I I can see that being a pitfall. To <laughs> I mean, Steps and I both write. Not I'm sure not on the level of what y'all do, but yeah, there, I've written stories where I'm like, okay, so the how is really great. The why is completely lost. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Well, it's not just the why. It's 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 not even the why of the character. It's it's why you as a reader should care. You know, I mean, who is this character? What are they about? W- what are they trying to do? Why do we care if they fail or succeed? Do are we invested in their story? Do we wish we were them? You know, there are all these sort of things that you try to do when you and you make someone care about a character. I think if you if you analyze stories that you like yourself and think of a movie that you think is just a fantastic movie i think you're going to find a character in there that you really liked their experience or you identified with something about their story arc and uh, that's why it sort of resonated with you personally it's also why certain movies that's why people like different stuff is because characters resonate with different people in different ways based on their experience and uh so I think that really is the key. Is is it's why you know Independence Day to me is a spectacle. Transformers is a spectacle. You know, I uh, that last Transformers movie with Mark Wahlberg. I, I don't even remember his name. I don't remember what he was about. I mean, it was just. You, you, you mean the guy from Texas with the high pitched Boston accent? Oh, <laughs> there's a Transformer in there. <laughs> Holy crap! See, I'm from Boston, so I can't tell. <laughs> he comes out. He comes out all redneck, dressed up, and he's like. You brought a truck in there? No, I think it's Optimus Prime. It's wicked awesome, Mr. Transformer. I'm from Texas. <laughs> That's, That's exactly so, how it went. No, but I mean, you know, it's like if you're, if you're telling a story about an alien invasion, and this is why I, I, I use War of the Worlds, the Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise one as an example. I know not everyone likes that film, but if you look at that film, it's about an alien invasion. But what's the story itself about? It's about the Tom Cruise character and his relationship with his two sons, his son and his daughter. And his, that's, yeah. that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so you kind of, you can feel the emotion. You know, anytime you've watched a movie, Forrest Gump, for example, you know, you, 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 you tie into these characters. Even though he's this crazy, weird character, you, you feel towards the end when his mama dies, you know, and you feel... You, you, you get the feels, you know, we call it the feels. And those moments only happen when you're invested in the character. And uh, I'll tell you what, you want to know the best example for a newer movie? The best example I've run into with that was a movie called A Monster Calls. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I have not. Um, it's about a boy, and his mom is uh, sick. It's the... Um, the actress who played Jin Erso in Rogue One plays the mom, and through the movie, um, she digresses and digresses, and the treatments aren't working, and 
he has to live with his grandmother, who he's never really gotten along with, and he has an absentee dad who lives in America and started a new family, and then he's got this bully at school, so it's just like this perfect storm of crap raining down on this kid. Well, his mom was an artist, and she told stories, and she drew, and she painted, and he's inherited her ability to draw and paint and tell stories. Well, he draws from one of her stories um, about this monster that grows out of this giant tree that's supposed to be mythical, and his mother's father, so his grandfather, told her this story about this tree's been here since the beginning of time, and when people call on it, it becomes a monster, and it does what they need, and all this, so it's a CGI fest for most of it, and Liam Neeson voices the monster, yeah, and I'm looking at it on iTunes right now, I just bought it, so thank dude, you, I'm going okay. to watch it on the plane on Monday, <laughs> Ball, yeah, if you don't mind crying in public, because when that <laughs> when when the impetus of it hits in that movie, and we watched it because we were looking for something we could watch with my 10-year-old daughter, and I can't watch Kitty Kitty movies five times in a row, so we were looking for something new. And, man, it's, like, um, it, it had me bawling on the couch, and I'm like a cold-hearted, curmudgeon old man, and it, like... <laughs> smashed through all of that. It's an amazing movie. Thank and you. it's exactly that. Like, a kid's going to look at it and be like, oh, cool, the big tree monster's doing all this thing. And as an adult, you're watching it, and you're like, my heart hurts so much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love movies like that, because, uh, you know, it, it, to use you, when you talked about Jackie and Jenny sitting on the couch and kind of snuggling and watching a movie, uh, that was kind of an unheard of mo moment in video games, you know, and, uh, but the reason we did that, because I remember being in some of the earlier story meetings and reading some of the documents, is, is we said, you know, doing stuff like this and making them realize that they're meant for each other and that they love each other is going to make her death when she dies that oh. powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's going to hurt, you know? And that's sort of those, those sort of emotional moments. You, you've got to land them correctly, because if you don't, you end up in movies like Aragon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god, the death of Jenny. One of the few times I've really gotten angry at a TV screen that I had no control. <laughs> like, yeah. inanimate objects, and you're like, Injustice reigns, I'm angry. <laughs> well, it's funny because people that played the game, most a lot of them had read the, had read the comic, and uh, mm -hmm. so everyone knew it was going to happen because it happened in the comic. But, uh, you know, you get sort of vested in the story and you, you forget a little bit. Um, it's why, uh, you know, sometimes like the Titanic, you know, think about that. We all knew how it ended. You know, yeah. and uh, yet we still bought into it and 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 love this film, and you know it, it still holds up pretty well. I watched that again not too long ago, and stuff like uh, you know, like the Jesus Christ movie that Mel Gibson did, Passion of the Christ, you Passion know? of the Christ. Yeah, same sort of thing. We all know how it ended. So, how do you make you know if you already know the story? How do you make someone care about it? You know, my good, problem with Titanic is she couldn't have moved over six inches. <laughs> The, the door would have... No, sunk. no, no. He's a physics... And That's like true. He, he knows that door would not have sunk. They probably could say... Yeah, the more annoying thing that I never thought about until my wife brought it up is, wow, she's kind of a bitch. They went all the way out here to find this thing, and then she just dumps it in the water. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, they, they, they were specifically looking for that. They, they, this entire expedition had done all this thing. Bill Paxton's character, they'd flown her out on a helicopter, which probably was a $100,000 trip. And then the one thing they wanted, she had. She didn't even need it. She just threw it away. That's when you throw her in the water. And you're like, yeah, exactly. there's no door this time, Rosie. Well, and that's where I always... See, the funny thing about that movie like that is when the director leaves it somewhat open to interpretation, because I always read that as she died at the end. Right. And that's where she went and joined them. But, uh, you know, my wife actually said she didn't die. And I'm like, what? And then I realized there were a lot of people that thought she didn't die. And then uh, and, and Cameron was asked if Rose died at the end of that. And he said, I've left that open to the uh, the viewer's interpretation. And uh-huh. it's interesting how that, that you could do that as a, as a storyteller. I've not played that game yet. My stories always are pretty definitive. But uh, if I had something that was clever like that, I might try it. No, nothing drives me crazy than those artsy-fartsy indie movies that usually involve a depressed teenager, and they just end with like a with like a Silver Suns pickup song just strumming away in the background, and you're like, there's no resolution to any of this. But you what? love the Silver Sun pickups. I, I, yeah, okay, I like the band, but like, <laughs> like The Way Way Back is a great movie. Until right. the innocuous ending. Paper Towns, great, great movie. Stupid <laughs> art house innocuous ending. Drives me nuts. They almost lost me on Kubo. Because at the very end when they're like, oh, the giant monster is your grandfather. And now he's a human. And everybody tells him how wonderful he is. And I'm like, hold on. I just spent a whole movie watching his parents come back in different forms and die to save him fighting this man. And when he finally fights him, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's just your grandfather, and now he doesn't know who he is. I was like, <clears throat> so I'm yeah. one of those people. The, the innocuous ending drives me. That is my biggest pet peeve in entertainment. It's just like, oh, there's credits. I guess we're done. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, there's, and then there's the stupid endings. You know, the stupid endings are worse to me than the innocuous endings. Did you guys see the Green Inferno, the Eli Roth movie about the cannibals? Yeah. The ending, I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but the the ending where she basically defends the cannibals, I was like, mm-hmm. wait, what? <laughs> what? Seriously? Uh, yeah, that yeah. just made, my wife and I watched it, and we were just talking, we just looked at each other like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Why would she do that? You know? And it was just, uh, it was just silly. Just silly. Yeah, That's ex- you go through an entire movie, and then you get to the end, you're like, this doesn't make sense. How did this happen? I'm just yeah. watching the movie, and I realize that's not how it should have ended. Yeah, enter my interpretation of the end of Arrival. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I haven't like seen the, that one yet. I, I've seen it, and I liked it. I, I, I seem to recall liking it. I'm trying to remember how it ended, though, now that you said that. Um, don't give it away since he hasn't seen it, but uh, yeah. did you not like the film? Or It was a beautiful movie up until the end, and then... I mean, look, it made its point, right? Everybody that came over and watched it at our house, we had a living room full of people watching it, started this whole metaphysical conversation. And I got involved in the conversation, and I saw the merits of that. And at the same time, I was just like, middle finger to you for that ending. That did they or didn't they? Did she Did she tell the thing? Oh, Or oh, did she oh, not? Oh, oh. Did they yeah, end up yeah, even... Yeah, yeah cause, well, because... I remember it now. But you, you got the, the time travel element of it, right? Yeah, that's just it. Okay, so here... Ugh, okay, here's my problem with the time travel thing. Really cool part for the story. Hooray! But steps. Yeah. If you have headphones on, take them off for a second. 
Uh, done. I'm just. I wish the video was on. You can just see the look on my face. I'm just. All right. I'm taking them off. Okay. Well, the, the, did we run it for him? I'm sorry. That's my. No, bad. no, no, no. Because I'm about to say a thing. Okay. Why the heck did the aliens show up three thousand years before they're going to need us to tell us that they're going to need us in three thousand years? That's the part that was like. No, I, I I get that. I think the the, the concept that I kind of read that as is that they they didn't really operate on time in the same way because those they saw uh, all, all you if you were one of them you saw every aspect of your life at the same time so you could see your own future and make decisions based on that future. So they were reaching out to us in order to put us on a path so that we would evolve over those three thousand years to be able to help them. That's how I read that. Is, is I did, too. I just don't like having being made to think that much when I'm watching a movie. Uh, uh, <laughs> fair enough. No, it's, uh, see, I, I, that's where I, I love that. I, that, for me, is, is, it's probably why my Think Tank book has such a small reader audience, is because uh, I, I, I write that book specifically to force everyone to think about shit that's going to scare the crap out of them, because it's all based on real science. It's all based on real geopolitics. Yeah. You know? And uh, I love writing that book. It has a small audience, but they're hardcore, and uh, a lot of the readers are, you know, scientists, and it's cool. I dig it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a bad movie. It's just like there were certain things that were kind of like, eh. And also because there were people, you know, you have conversations where you miss things here and there, and maybe they seem like a one-liner here, but you end up finding down the road that that one sentence, you were like, what did they say? And right. something happens, and you're like, oh, okay, missed a big chunk of that because of that. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't go into movie theaters anymore, and uh, my wife is, uh, is, is Cantonese. She learned to speak English, so English is not her first language. So we always watch uh, movies with, sub, with English subtitles on. And, mm. uh, and since we've been doing that for the last many, many years, I, I can't watch movies without the subtitles anymore because uh, I... I pick up things and I, I see things that you know it's just it makes the experience of watching a film so much uh, better uh, in terms of being able to understand it I, initially for the first few years I did it I didn't like it because I found it distracting but now it's weird I can't imagine not having that so uh, that's why I'm, and it really helps on a movie like The Arrival because uh, you know and I that's I also I, I, I'm, I'm too old I think at this point to watch movies in the theater without being annoyed so I, you know, I watch them at home so I can freeze frame and rewind and and, and read. And so, yeah, I, 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 if I'm into a movie, I'll watch it twice too, right back to back. Yeah, yeah, I do that too. At, it's about the same way at my house. My wife, um, she she grew up here, but her dad, well, her stepdad is a uh, Middle Eastern, and so I don't know if that had something to do. with it. She says it does, but she watches the subtitles on everything. And at the beginning of our relationship, it drove me absolutely batty. And now, I'm, like you said, I don't know if I can watch a movie on TV without the subtitles on. It just feels strange. Yeah. But it does I, give you a little more insight to it sometimes. No, it really, really does. Especially because sometimes, you know, a lot of times movie makers will use stuff like that's on the TV or on the radio in the background. And it's actually important to the story. And you normally can't really hear it. But when you when it's uh, when it's on the subtitle text, you're like, oh, you know, and uh, that uh, there have been multiple movies I've gone back and rewatched with subtitles from when I was a kid just to see if I missed anything, and I was shocked at, at the level of some stuff that I did miss. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I can see that. I do that drives my wife batty is I will watch the same movie twice back to back, or I will watch the same movie three times in three days just because I, I like it that much, especially if it's a story that I want to make sure I caught everything because I liked it so much, or maybe I missed something and I wanted to go back and make sure that I understood it right. No, I'm, I'm thinking I, that drives her crazy. I'm totally with you, man, because there's so much bad content out there all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, this is one of the reasons why, and see, this is, this is one of the things I always talk to people about in comics, you know, and you guys read comics. How many comics do you think you've read in your lifetime? Thousands. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thousands, okay? How many of those comics do you actually remember, and that if someone pulled it out and laid the cover down, you could tell in a reasonable amount what the story is inside of it, just based on the cover alone? Mm-hmm. Maybe a hundred out of the thousands. Okay, so... A hundred if I was lucky. So, extrapolate that and think about that for a second. For something that costs right now $4, $5 a book that you can read in five minutes, it's actually not a great value for your entertainment dollar. And, uh, and I always tell people, I said, why are you continuing to read these books that you don't even like? You're not even paying attention to what they're about. You know, and one of the things that I always stress to do on all of my books is we include not just a comic, but uh, if you're into the subject material, I include sort of a detailed uh, section in the back on every single book I write about all the research I did, about all the books I read, so that if you like this story, hey, here's some interesting stuff you can go read that sort of fueled this story. If you like the story, you might want to learn about quantum entanglement, you know, and how and cryosleep and whether cryosleep is yeah. even possible. You know, and I, I put little links in science and, and, and YouTube clicks and videos, and, uh, and I do a lot of stuff like that to make it a more immersive experience. And, uh, oh, wow, you know, that's pretty awesome. I do that in every, every book I write. So if you look at any one of my trades, you'll see little sections. Like in Think Tank, I have science class. In the Tithe, I have Sunday school. And I talk about religion and philosophy and psychiatry and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. No, I am, I'm seriously considering, because I've never gotten to read uh, Think Tank. I, I think I'm going to go out tomorrow and pick up. Is there a trade for that one already? There's uh, there's there's five. There's five volumes. Five. There you go. Yeah. So wow. I, I think I'm going to check that out because it sounds like a book up my alley. Something that's a little deeper, a little. Well, the word escapes me at the moment. The first volume is actually on our website for free if you just want to read the PDF. You know, and I do that because I. I I, it's, it's difficult to get people to sample something or try something new, you know. And think, and think, and think tank. There's no superheroes, you know. Uh, it's about a scientist who develops weapons for the military, and he doesn't want to do it anymore, you know. And that's that's basically what the story is about. Um, but in each issue, there each arc, there's a geopolitical story, there's a technology story, and there's this relationship story of this guy who uh, started working for the government when he was 14. Uh, and, and signed a uh, basically a lifelong contract at 14. He's a little kid. He didn't know any better. He did, and he yeah. and now they won't let him quit because he's too valuable. You know. He oh knows. wow. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna check that one out. Okay, so that's gonna be me putting on Nine Inch Nails Ghost album <laughs> with no words, and that's what I'll be falling asleep to reading tonight. It's starting, okay. especially if it's free. Yeah, topcow.com, yeah. um, there is uh, a, uh, we have, uh, our website is woefully unupdated, but there's one news piece which says free comic downloads from Top Cow there. If you click on that, you'll see that there's about 50 free comics. Or I was going to say, I saw that earlier, there's a lot. You guys give, yeah. yeah. 
Well, we I believe it's sampling, you know, and uh, like if you go down, if you scroll down to the lower right of the page, you'll also see you'll see the Think Tank one, two, three, and four, and Think Tank Fun with PTSD. So there's five complete issues of Think Tank that you can read for free to see if you like the book or not, you know, and they're PDFs. You can share them with your friends. They're DMZ, DR, or DRM free. Nice. So something we have to talk about before we have to cut this off. Um, I would be remiss without bringing it up. You've, you've said it a few times. You're looking at quantum mechanics and quantum physics and the entanglement and all that. My wife, that is her, probably her favorite subject. She, uh, every time I come home from work, I swear she's watching a new documentary about something. And I'm not going to lie. I understand about half of what they're saying. My wife is much much more into the uh, the science end of it, but it is interesting. What got you interested in that? Was it just you know watching Passengers or Ender's Game and the the cryo sleeping, or has no. it always been an interest? No, I mean when I was working on my master's degree, we were studying uh, the early quantum mechanics, you know, and uh, so I mean quantum mechanics has been around for a while. I mean Einstein sort of discovered it and and called uh-huh. it sp- spooky action from a distance and didn't understand <laughs> That's what he called it, and and yep. what it was was it was. You started having these things on a subatomic level which were not adhering to normal laws of physics that we thought were immutable. So why, if you turn this molecule here, does it turn this other molecule way over here the other direction? And then how do you connect those things? If, I, if I'm able to, you know, it doesn't matter, and they're not physically connected. It's because, you know, they talked space-time continuum and all the ideas of that sort of came out of this to where we could have, and this is why, you know, communication, once we fully solve quantum entanglement, communication will be instantaneous anywhere in the universe because you'll be able to, you know, there, there will not be a time lag like we've seen in all these science fiction films because with quantum entanglement, you'll be able to have uh, real-time conversations with people anywhere in the universe. Um, and, I mean, this is science fiction at this point, but uh, it, it's, it's believed that it's, it's, it's happening. I mean, you know, teleportation is something that is happening now. We have the ability to teleport things from one room to another. I mean, yep. it, it's not fiction anymore. It's real. Um, and that's what I made my entire Aphrodite 9 storyline about, was cloning of humans and genetic copies and downloading of consciousness and artificial intelligence. And, and, and the whole thing was basically about quantum entanglement and the idea that um, would you want to teleport yourself? Because essentially what you're doing is you're disintegrating it and then you're reintegrating it. So if you're doing that to a living entity, is it the same entity or is it just a copy of that entity? Would it actually even have the same sentience? You know, when we've cloned, yeah. when we've cloned animals, and we've been cloning animals now for, what, 30 years almost now? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they are... And Dolly. Yeah. Decidedly more aggressive. In, in a lot of cases, we've had to put animals down because when they're cloned, for whatever reason, and we don't know why, they're significantly, it, it, it's noticeable. I mean, scientists have documented this that cloned animals are far more aggressive. Why is that? Yeah. We don't even know. It's because they event horized in through a hell dimension like <laughs> <laughs> Sam Neill. Yeah. What was that movie called? That, was that Event Horizon? I like that Event movie. Horizon, yeah. yeah. Are you? That was a good film. Mm-hmm. Let's fold space and time. Oh, crap. We opened a portal to hell. Yeah, that's the one where he's got his eye, eye in his hand, right? Yeah. Oh. Remember that? <laughs> and all the tally marks and the, yeah, oh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love oh, that well, movie. Lawrence Fishburne was in that too, right? Yes, he was. Yeah, I, I like that movie. I have to go watch that. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. 
But that's just it. So, like, the instantaneous communication and the teleportation, it's really, I mean, is the concept behind it just an actual folding of space and time? Like, there is no distance. There is no time lapse. It's just... That's the idea, yeah. I mean, yeah. we've not quite mastered it, obviously. It's all theoretical. But uh, the idea being is that you should be able to travel from anywhere to anywhere instantaneously. Um, and that uh, the weird thing is that we have certain things existing in, in two different places in the universe at the same time, you know, right. and, the, and they're connected through some sort of other dimension that we can't see, you know. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the fun thing about physics, and I try to explain this to people sometimes, is we talk about physics and math are kind of the language of the universe. It's, it's really what it is. It's uh, like if, if you want to learn how to talk to Americans or British people, you learn how to speak English. You know what I mean? So if you want to learn how to figure out or talk to the universe itself, you got to learn physics and math. And, uh, you know, there's just so many things that we still don't understand. I mean, we use these coefficients of friction, mu. We use all these sort of, we use these constants. And the reason why we do it is because we don't understand why it works that way. You know, gra we, we really don't understand why gra gravity works the way it does, you know? So we make these equations, and they have these constants in them. And that's just because most of the time, that constant works. When you get into upper division, like physics, you start realizing that those, those, those formulas that they teach you, they don't always work correctly. No, because look at the differences in gravity. Yeah. D different fields, different physiological makeups, uh, different atmospheres bend that law so is it really a law if the yeah. law can be bent so much to where a it doesn't exist in a vacuum and right. b it exists in varying forms dependent on other variables and everything else yeah plus what you just said about the you know increased aggression i had heard that i hadn't read too much on it but i mean you know how sad would it be for humanity to stand on the pinnacle of a, the greatest accomplishment it might ever achieve and it kicks off a zombie apocalypse because everybody who comes <laughs> out of the everyone comes out of the teleporters like 28 days later just rabid feral <laughs> <laughs> oh, it could happen you know i mean we are dangerously interconnected today um and mm -hmm. the uh uh you know i think the cdc now has three uh uh, what do they call it, uh, antibiotics that are not being released into the environment at all and not used and are being saved for extreme problems uh, simply because, you know, it's, it's, we talk about it here in the United States, but it's not the United States that's ruining uh, antibiotic resistance. It's, uh, it's India and China because in India mm -hmm. and China, you can buy all these antibiotics over the counter. You can go buy penicillin like it's uh, ibuprofen, you know, yep. oh, no. and so... Not good. Your kid has got the sniffles. You go buy some penicillin and you give it to him. You know, you do that through enough generations. Penicillin doesn't work anymore. You know what's crazy about that? I read an article today that said that they've seen increased that giving a child penicillin actually alters their brain. I, that doesn't surprise me at all. You know? So, like the fact that you you went to penicillin, and of course, the fact that India and China are basically pandemic hotbeds, twenty four hours a day. India is the worst because you've got a you've got a country. I, I've been to India twice, and I, you have a country where there's 250 million people that shit in the street. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's almost the size of the United States uh, population. There are that many people in that country that they just you know they whip it out and piss on the floor. They they walk out into the tree by the house and take a dump. You know, and uh, they don't use toilets. They don't have sewage. And so you combine. Well, they do. It's called the Ganges. 
<laughs> but so imagine, you know, you've got a hotbed of this bacteria already because they're not properly sanitized. Right. Okay. And then on top of that, just a free proliferation of these uh, antibiotics, and you've got a perfect storm. I think five of the worst antibiotic-resistant uh, bacteria are all in India. Jesus. <laughs> That's where you could go. Here, yeah, you want a cheesy joke? Somebody would be like, you going to go to India this, this year? And you say, namaste. Oh. <laughs> I ruined it. That's, such that's a, a deep, dumb joke. I'm going to go tell my wife that one. Right, we're such done. a she deep, beautiful conversation. <laughs> and I just walked out of my house and pooped in the tree. Oh, I love my like, dumb buns. <laughs> But no, like, I mean, yeah, science is, science is advancing rapidly again. I mean, you know, we hit lulls and, you know, look at the technology from the early 1900s where if you took a picture in the early 1900s, it's hard to discern what era that was from. Right. You know, and, then, and then look where we are now in just 100 years. And, I, I mean, you know, we, we think that, other civilizations that were around forever were primitive, and then you find out that they've opened sarcophaguses and gone into pyramids and tombs and found that they had these copper vases full of water with leads in them and that they were actually producing electricity, that they had batteries. I mean, imagine where we'd be as an entire species if the Library of Alexandria had not been burned to the ground, like how advanced we might have been that we'll never know because it was all lost and all that was left were the buildings that didn't burn and crumble to time for well, our ancient civilizations. Well, and that's where you get into fun sci-fi territory because who's to say that, that, ter that before that it wasn't actually even more advanced than where we are now? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, we look, oh, look at these primitive ruins and you're like, <laughs> they may not be as primitive as you think. The Egyptians had Duracells, so yeah. they weren't... <laughs> Well, we're at a weird point in technology and history and humanity, and uh, I, I've said this a few times, but I actually am, every day I believe it a little bit more. I, I believe we're heading towards a species split, and uh, what I mean by that is you're going to have humans split into two different versions. You're going to have the wealthy people who have access to uh, you know this technology, the bio enhancements, epigenetics, uh, cybernetic enhancements, and you know these things that will slow mitochondrial decay that are very expensive to to administer on a healthcare basis and won't be mass administered. You're going to have rich people that are going to live to be 500 years old, and using just simple compound interest, you're going to make these people even more wealthier than they already are. So you're, and not only that, you're going to make them into sort of these eugenics superheroes in a weird. Not, I mean, not in the in the comic book sense. But, no, I know uh, what you mean. You're going to have people living hundreds and hundreds of years and have access. JSX meets Logan's Run meets. Exactly. You know, and, and it's kind of what I did with Aphrodite 9. Aphrodite 9 was a fun story. I kind of, uh, you know, I, I basically did uh, the genetically enhanced against the uh, uh, cybernetically enhanced in the future for supremacy. You know, and that was kind of a fun. And that book existed because Stephen Sedgwick, the painter, wanted to do a story where dragons fought spaceships. So I, I, that, that's, that's what he wanted to do. So when he and I talked about that, I, I developed out that story so that he could do that. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, man. So anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> Good time. Species split. Yeah. Well, this conversation just got way cooler than I wanted it to 
at the wrong time. We should have had this going on at the beginning. <laughs> hey, we this can is always do it again. Yes, yeah, we can, we're... dude. We are. Yeah, we're an open format podcast. You can see we don't do formal interviews. Um, we we like having people back on. We like to consider them friends and show their progress and let them just come on and get their stuff out there and then just. Once that part's done, just do what we've been doing for the past 45 minutes and just <laughs> yeah. laughing and talking about things that the Luddites are just going to scratch their head about. Well, take look. You know, we've talked. I've told you about some comics. You guys are going to go off. Uh, you said you're going to try to read the free think tanks. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. let, uh, happy to come back on and, and, you know, whenever you want me. And we can talk about some of the stuff once you've had a chance to read it. Yeah, man, awesome. So definitely um, go ahead and plug the Kickstarter one more time, and if you want to plug other books where people can find you, the easiest way to get Top Cow Comics and everything, it's it's your time to just get it out there. Um, yeah, I, I'm uh, face uh, on Facebook. I'm very uh, active, and it's uh, I, if you go if you go under there and look for Matt Hawkins, there's me and some South African rugby player who I might meet next week, which would be kind of funny. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm the guy with the comic book stuff behind me, not the uh, the guy with the tattoos and the rugby ball in his arms. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, the actual handle is self loathing narcissist, which is a long story for another day. But uh, I'm Top Cow Matt on Twitter. I'm mhawk5222 on Instagram, uh, but if you just go to at Top Cow uh, on Twitter or Top Cow's uh, Facebook page, I mean, you, you'll find me because I'm the one that talks on those most of the time anyway, um, and, uh, you know, like I said, Golgotha is up on Kickstarter now, and uh, there's uh, it's, it's got about half of its life left to go if you want to get that book and check it out. We'd certainly appreciate your support. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to have to get in on that. I get paid in 45 minutes. Cool. Jump in on this Golgotha. Make sure and get the uh, the cover, because I'm staring at the cover right now. It's cool, isn't it? It's beautiful. Yeah, so I like Dojesco. If you get the digital, is that the cover you get with the digital? Yeah, for the Kickstarter. It won't be the same. It's the same sort of thing. If you get the the digital through the Kickstarter, you'll get the Dojesco cover sent. If I'm you buy that cover. If you buy the digital through Comixology, you'll get the other cover. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, I really appreciate you spending all this time with us. I know it's kind of late, but it's been a lot of fun getting to talk with you. No, no worries. From comic books to uh, physics. It's good I feel stuff. Like I learned something. That's that's and that's that's a good thing, right? Because isn't learning to bad how Indian puns. So. That's the best. Well, I learn those from you all the time. <laughs> Fair enough. But, but yeah, no, learning something is always great. It's one of my favorite things. If I can walk away from a conversation learning something new, then it was all worth having. Rock yeah, I do think you get the uh, the award for smartest podcast we've ever done. Yay! Yeah. I, 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 I embrace that. Thank you so much. No so. problem, man. And I will definitely reach out. Um, we're definitely going to want to have you back on. This was a blast. Absolutely. And there's way more, I think, that we could all talk Very about. Nice. So, yeah. I love it. I'm on. You guys, I'm, I'll come on anytime you want me. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. All right, no man. Problem. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. You too. You too. All right. Well, guys, that was a. Oh, man, it was awesome. It was just so much. We <laughs> talked comics and we got to, you know, your bad India puns and quantum physics. How do these talks always end so awesomely? And, oh, so much fun. 
I'm telling you, man, it's it proves that our mission statement is there. People are going to listen to that and get really into it. That went super sciency and super deep, and it really made me want to read almost everything that I he's know. written. I feel like I'm going to be a lot. I'm going to have a lot less money tomorrow than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. No, it's a great time, though. I can't wait to have him back on. We'll talk some more. I'm going to have to get my wife to get me up to speed on quantum physics so I can throw some some stuff at him. See if I can impress him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know one listener who happens to be my best friend who is going to eat that conversation up like it was a buffet. Oh, yeah. So is my wife. She's going to love it. You know, she's... I think she's asleep already. <laughs> right. That quantum physics conversation, that one's for you, Glenn Elsa Brooke. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that was Matt Hawkins. Uh, definitely get on that Kickstarter. I know they reached yeah. their goals, but the the reward tier is really low. I'm in for $10, and I'm getting, like, a bunch of stuff, including a DRM-free. Yeah, I think at the 10 you get the you get the PDF of it and the stickers. It's like mm-hmm. special Top Cow stickers, like Witchblade and all that. Yeah, cool. so, I, yeah, I'm in for a th- uh, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, written in the book in both the digital and the physical print, and I get the variant cover for being on the Kickstarter, and it was only 10 bucks. Yeah, that's awesome. So definitely get in on it. And the rewards get better as the tier goes up, and the tier doesn't jump like some. Yeah. Just a couple bucks more, and you get this big thing, and then a couple bucks more, you get this big thing. So definitely, us. yeah. You guys should join us in not only supporting that, but going to topcow.com and downloading that. The PDF, the the first trade of Think Tank. I'm really excited to read that and see how it goes. Yeah, he's not kidding. You go on the Top Cow site, and um, in the bottom right, there's a list of everything that's free, and you could read comics for an entire evening and into the next day before you even have to purchase anything. But we definitely recommend that you purchase things because that's how this awesome label stays around. Yeah, exactly. You um, get your taste of it, find the one that you like, and then follow it until it ends, and then find a new one and repeat. And I also recommend if you have a console that can play the darkness, curl up with the one you love, get to that part of the game, get under a blanket, and pick a movie, and realize how meta it is to watch a, fic- a fictional cover, a couple cuddle on the couch and watch a movie and realize that you are a real couple cuddling on a couch watching a couple cuddling on a couch watching a movie in a video it's like when you hold up a mirror to a mirror to a mirror to a mirror yeah (laughs) all right well it's been fun but it is late this time and it is late i might fall asleep on the keyboard (laughs) (laughs) so uh keep an ear out we're going to be putting up a bunch of episodes uh between today and saturday and then this weekend we have boba fett coming into the studio um also a special effects director at the same time Mm -hmm. the man's work is legendary the studios that he works for are legendary and he is actually a certified bona fide boba fett there's, what, two people that can say that? Yeah, two or three total in the entire world. Yeah. And we've got one of them. It's a good group to be a part of. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So like always, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, the Mm -hmm. Facebook, Building a Better Nerd, the website, Building a Better Nerd, 
Uh, Steps, what's your Twitter handle for people who might want to follow? Way too complicated. It is at this underscore is underscore step 17. Yes. And I will always be a simple kind of man. It's just Gnarly Canary. Um, Write us a review, drop us some comments, give us a like and a follow. And uh, like, like we always say, we're always open to suggestions and opinions, so... Drop a little of your brain knowledge on yeah. us and Find just, us and you know. Let us know how much you agree and or disagree with the things we talked about. Disagreements will be met with cold indifference, but you can do it anyway. <laughs> Give that a shot. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this has been another episode of The Happy Haven, making the world a better place. One nerd at a time. We'll see you guys. See you next time, guys.